from the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Greetings, friends. Thank you very much for being here. This is going to be a healthy hour full of talk radio goodness. Including a discussion of the, uh, the the Trump's legal status right now. Uh, Gavi Newsom clearly wants to be president, is positioning himself to do so. The devastating, devastating indictment of his royal gavness by a prominent sheriff in California. Also, uh, chat with Lon He Chen about the Republican primaries and, and their current state and why certain candidates have so much trouble getting any traction, even though they're terrific on paper. A lot of good stuff uh, and, and more than I mentioned to come this hour. I want to play a couple of clips of John Lauro, who's Trump's attorney, specifically in the January 6th uh, defrauding the government, defrauding the voters charges. Um, he did what they call the full Ginsburg, which sounds uh, vaguely dirty, but it's a reference to Monica Lewinsky's lawyer, Daniel Ginsburg. Is that right? Um, who back in the day, back when she was on the front page, um, when he did all five of the TV talk shows uh, on a Sunday, the Fox News, the Meet the Press, the, uh, the, 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 the Face the Nation, all of those shows that nobody watches. Uh, let's, uh, let's go with the 30 first, Michael. Mr. Trump, President Trump has argued from the very beginning, as I have, that this is an attack, this indictment is an attack on his First Amendment rights. Now what the Biden administration wants to do is deny all Americans the opportunity to learn non-sensitive information about what the case involves. Now, the prosecution will respond that they carefully avoided any First Amendment stuff, but, you know, that's in the eye of the beholder and or the judge. And then uh, 31. We have to remember that President Biden, back in April 2022, which he repeated in November 2022, was that he was going to take President Trump out of the election, even though President Trump is his most significant opponent. Now we see the Biden Justice Department acting on the Biden plan. So President Trump, in the middle of a political season, is certainly entitled to respond politically. But make no mistake about it, this is an effort to prevent President Trump from running for president. That was uh, on Fox News Sunday, where Laura was, uh, you know, definitely it was a less adversarial forum than some other places uh, apparently that pompous jackass chuck todd is not yet re- retired he was hosting meet the press and he got into it with laro uh in a way that i found pretty interesting and a little amusing in clip 35. if he had proof he won the state why did he threaten the secretary of state with a criminal charge that wasn't a threat at all what he was asking for is is for Raffensperger to get to the truth. He believed that there were in excess of of 10,000 votes that were counted illegally. And what he was asking for is the Secretary of State to act appropriately and find uh, these votes that were counted um, illegally. That was an aspirational ask. He's entitled to petition even state government. But that doesn't that doesn't involve an obstruction of federal government. But what the Biden administration has said is somehow President Trump obstructed a federal 
federal proceeding. That relates to what was going on in the states. And yeah. President Trump had every right to ask the Secretary of State, I believe that this election was conducted improperly. There are deficiencies here. I want to see if there are more than 10,000 votes or whatever the number was that were counted illegally. Once again, that's core political speech. There are a couple of other issues. The, the, there is no doubt that the prosecutors have taken a novel legal view of certain statutes to level the charges they have in this case. And uh, <clears throat> if you line up a dozen uh, so-called legal scholars, they'll give you a dozen different opinions on how much, how much water they hold. Uh, it'll certainly be interesting to watch it unfold. Um, the key charges really have to do with trying to prevent the uh, the certification of the vote on January 6th and the slate of so-called false electors from Wisconsin and that sort of thing. I think it's all going to pivot on that. Um, the rest of the stuff seems pretty wishy-washy. And then, you know, certainly you could bring up the various uh, attempts in the past, including by Hillary Clinton a number of years ago, to, to impanel an alternate state of electors to go to the Capitol and do their thing and then, you know, and I'm not an expert on the facts of that case, but then you absolutely get into, at the very least, the perception of unequal justice. Everybody just kind of said, yeah, no, you can't do that. Let's not worry about that in her case. Whereas when uh, DJ Trump does that, which w would be a pretty good, uh, you know, DJ name if I was doing the nightclub thing. Uh, when Donald J. Trump does the same thing, of course, it's a threat to democracy. Um, let's see. Oh, I want to get to what Trump himself is doing over the weekend on social media. But before we get to that, one more clip. Uh, Bill Barr on PBS. Remember, he was uh, Satan for supporting Trump when he was right. Well, now he's a saint for going after Trump when he perceives him to be wrong on the left. Here he is on PBS. I think it's a legitimate case. I, I don't understand the attacks. Uh, on the department and saying it's abusive or it's weaponization for bringing this case. When someone says, you know, this is unfair, this is part, you know, there's some other motive here, the first question is, okay, was the crime done? Was there serious wrongdoing here? Or is this a case of going after somebody who really didn't do anything or a technical violation or stretching the law way beyond where it should be? No, there was very grave wrongdoing here. And I think it's reasonable to say that it falls within the obstruction of a proceeding. That's not weaponization. That's enforcement. So there you have it. I like Bill Barr. I know some of you love him, some of you hate him, some of you are neutral, and that's fine. We can still be friends. Uh, I think he's a very straight shooter. He just says what he thinks, and, and uh, he ruffles feathers on both sides and or is, is lionized by both sides, depending on what comes out of his mouth on a given day. Uh, but he apparently agrees with me. It's going to come down to the obstructing the proceeding thing. The various ideas, uh, the, the charges that have to do with fraud, defrauding the voters, defrauding the government of the United States, I just don't see how that sticks. They're really stretching those statutes in a way that the Supreme Court has already overturned a couple of times. You can't claim fraud for unless you deprive somebody of their money or their stuff. Misleading somebody is not fraud unless it ends with you taking their money or their stuff. The Supreme Court has ruled that over and over again. And, and that could change, of course, but it would take Congress to change the law. That's one of those inconvenient things about being a conservative. You don't want your judges to write new laws. That's one thing progressives crave is uh, the judges to be able to declare not only what the law is or is not, but what it should be and go ahead and put that in force. So it's going to come down to that that uh, charge, whether you, you like it or not. Uh, so 
Oh, uh, where? Oh, that's right. So uh, while the lawyer was running and gunning there and doing uh, the appearances on all the shows on Sunday, uh, Trump himself was blanketing Truth Social with posts suggesting that his legal team was going to seek the recusal of the du- judge, Tanya S. Chutkin, the federal judge overseeing the case and trying to move his trial out of Washington. Excuse me. Um, And it's interesting because he'd already been warned by the judge not to threaten any uh, any witnesses or try to influence witness testimony or anything like that. Uh, But Trump was was hitting it hard Uh, on social media. I'm looking for my favorite ones. Uh, So Trump was waging his own campaign on social media. Quote. Wow, it's finally happened. Little Mike Pence, a man who is about to be ousted as governor Indiana. And that's sick. I'm reading it as written. A man who is about to be ousted as governor Indiana until I came along and made him VP has gone to the dark side. A few days earlier, he mocked Mr. Pence uh, for, quote, attracting no crowds, enthusiasm or loyalty from people who as a member of the Trump administration should be loving, loving him. I never told a newly emboldened, not based on his 2% poll numbers, Pence to put me above the Constitution or that Mike was too honest, which are uh, responses to things that uh, Pence has said on the record. Um, In one all-caps message, Mr. Trump accused Jack Smith, the prosecutor, of waiting to bring the case, quote, until right into the middle of the election campaign, in other posts, Trump attacked Mrs. Pelosi. This is like the good old days when Trump used to tweet at like 2 a.m. He'd unleash three blasts that would everybody talk in the next day. Uh, in other posts, Mr. Trump attacked Nancy Pelosi, who recently said that the president had seemed, quote, like a scared puppy before his arraignment. He said, quote, she is a sick and demented psycho who will someday live in hell. In good caps. morning. Oh, my gosh. A sick and demented psycho who will someday live in hell. And he channeled his grievances with the court process toward Judge Chutkin, saying he would never get a fair trial in Washington, D.C. Trump, I'm sorry, Pence responded um, with uh, several terms he's used several times, including anyone who puts himself over the Constitution should never be president of the United States. He repeated similar lines on CNN's State of the Union, followed by and CBS's State the Nation. Quote, what I want the American... Do we have this uh, clip? I don't think we do. Do we? No. Uh, what I want the American people to know is that President Trump was wrong then and he's wrong now. That I had no right to overturn the election. I had no right to reject or return votes. And that by God's grace, I did my duty under the Constitution of the United States. And I always will. So while uh, Pence is not going to be a factor at all, Electorally, I think he might well be in the case. Uh, speaking of which, read some really interesting analysis of the so-called emotive presidency and what that means. We'll hit you with that uh, toward the end of the hour. We'll see if it makes sense to you. Uh, coming up, Gavi Newsom, eyes on the prize. The prize is the White House. It's undeniable now. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. San Francisco is the armpit of the world. You've got bad management of the state of California, and then you've got bad management of the city. You combine bad management at both levels, you get a 
That place is kind of shit. <laughs> I mean, it's a rat hole. Yeah. It's a write-off. You need a tank to go to work there. You need a bulletproof yeah. vest. Wow, a poop hole. Wow. Frank Talk from Kevin O'Leary, sometimes known as Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank. Uh, some Frank Talk there. And yet the governor of California is intent on becoming president as quickly as possible. And there's enthusiasm for that idea on the left. Well, we'll take a look at how serious he is and how clear it is he's running after a very quick word from our friends at Upside.com. Inflation's high. We're all pros at finding creative ways to save, whether it's driving the extra mile for lower gas prices, grocery shopping on sale days, saving money is important. That's why we have to tell you about our new favorite way to save Upside. It's an incredible app for anyone who buys gasoline, groceries, or dines out. With Upside, you're not getting slammed by inflated prices because you get cash back on every purchase. To get started, download the free Upside app. Use the promo code Armstrong and get 25 cents or more back for every gallon on your first tank of gas. Next, claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside. Check in at the business, pay as usual with a credit card or debit card, and get paid. Upside users are earning more than a million dollars every week. That's probably why their their star rating on the App Store is 4.8 stars. That's really good. Download the free Upside app and use the promo code Armstrong to get 25 cents or more back for every gallon on your first tank of gas. That's the Upside app, and the promo code is Armstrong. Enjoy your savings, friends. So, uh, again, San Francisco is a you-know-what hole, etc. San Francisco's crumbling. California's crumbling, honestly. I mean, you visit any state in California or any city in California other than the really conservative ones, and you will see bum camps and junkies and poop and needles and people fleeing by the hundreds of thousands. It's really quite astounding. Uh, it would be the biggest story in America if the liberal media were more comfortable with the story, but they're intensely uncomfortable. But great piece of uh, journalism from the Free Beacon. They mentioned that uh, Gavi Newsom, the governor of California, launched a, uh, a PAC, Political Action Committee, in March to take on red state, quote-unquote, authoritarian leaders. Can you imagine Gavi, who held on to emergency powers months past the California Constitution's allowing him to do it, shut down the schools, shut down the businesses, m- next to Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, maybe the most authoritarian governor in the history of the United States. Anyway... He started this pact to take on red state authoritarian leaders and create a constitutional gun control amendment. In fact, Newsom said in the organization's launch video that he was going to these states and investing in people and organizations where they're fighting back against these imaginary strongmen. Well, the pact's actual spending suggests a different purpose. Newsom's Campaign for Democracy PAC has raised almost $4 million since its launch, but it's done little with that money to build up political groups fighting back against politicians like Ron DeSantis or whatever, or pushing constitutional amendments for gun control, which was the the point when he launched it. Instead, Newsom has spent millions on Democratic strategists, nationwide ad buys, and photo op visits to red states intended to burnish his image and build his political profile. In short... He's building name recognition. His spending tells the story of an ambitious Democratic governor who's getting ready to jump in the race should Joe Biden choose to not seek re-election or not be able to. Uh, Michael Ahrens, who's a uh, communications former communications director for the RNC, says 
it's obvious that his campaign for democracy is really just a campaign for Gavin Newsom. This is the kind of operation you set up when you want to run for president, and he would absolutely jump in the race if the opportunity presented itself. And there's a hell of a lot more evidence to this, but uh, we have limited time. I wanted to get in this tape of uh, Sheriff Chad Bianco of Riverside County in California talking about Gavin Newsom's brave leadership. Keeping in mind, crime has exploded in California. So the sheriffs, there's only 58 of us in the state, and we come together for meetings every three months. The current governor, we're talking five years now, he's never met with us once. Every governor before him met with us every two months. This governor refuses. He has never met with us, ever. He has no desire to. They're making all of these public safety laws and changing laws that are on the books that concern public safety, closing down prisons, letting people out early. He has never consulted with the public safety experts, the ones that do with it every single day. Never. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. You've tried to reach out to him. Absolutely. There's no clear reason why he doesn't. He's busy. That's the answer. Every governor in in our history hasn't been that busy, but apparently he's too busy. That is astonishing and sickening, especially for Californians, but I think anybody around the country could understand the outrage of that. So California voters idiotically pass a couple of uh, progressive measures that decriminalize crime, turn people loose from prisons, and crime has exploded. It's just crazy. It's a, California's crumbling. And the governor never meets once with law enforcement. That is amazing. And since its inception, his pack has been running social media ads, putting him up against Trump and DeSantis. It's obvious what's going on. I'm saying September or October. Let's wait and see. Lon He Chen is always great, and he's coming up next. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. We always look forward to a chance to talk to Lon He Chen, David and Diane Steffi, fellow in American Public Policy Studies at the Hoover Institution, the Director of Domestic Policy Studies at Stanford University. He was a candidate for California State Controller, and I personally believe if he'd won that office and helped restore sanity to the state, probably would have prevented about 50,000 people from leaving Cal Unicornia, but that's a matter of opinion. Lon He, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. It's always a pleasure. So in the last segment, we were talking about how Gavin Newsom's PAC, which was ostensibly formed to battle dictatorial right-wingy governors, has been acting very much like a presidential campaign. Uh, I have sources close to Team Gavi that say it's uh, that they're considering it a, a practically inevitable that he runs this time. Do you think that's a stretch? Do you believe that? Yeah, I'm not sure it's this time. I, I mean, obviously, he wants to run for president, and I think he has to do everything he can to be supportive of uh, of Biden until and, and if something uh, develops in that race to change the circumstances. But you don't set up a pack, and you don't say you're going to debate Ron DeSantis, and you don't raise your national profile unless your intention is to run for president. So I, I firmly believe that's in his plans. I think the question is really when. And you know, I think he's approaching this in – uh, from the perspective of, listen, he wants to be the heir apparent to the Democratic Party uh, when they move on from uh, from from Joe Biden. And it'll be interesting because he's going to be then engaged in a political battle with Kamala Harris, who sees herself as the heir apparent to Joe Biden. So two Californians are going to be facing off for the right to to be the next standard bearer of the Democratic Party. So that that will that will be intriguing. It'll be very interesting. But I, I think it's a little premature, quite frankly. 
Well, there was a ridiculous effort to prop up Kamala in the New York Times this morning. Just hilarious. Um, but the, the word I get from my sources is that, you know, part of this is just my own guesswork, because I've been saying for months that Biden won't run. It's just ridiculous. Um, he would be, you know, ancient and completely addled a year into his term that he has his heir apparent in Gavin. Unless Kamala can somehow rehabilitate herself and that he's just going to hold off till this fall to avoid excessive lame duckery and, and also to limit the carnage among Democrats vying for the, the prize. And then he's going to step aside for the good of the country. Am, am I dreaming or is that at least a reasonable possibility? Well, you know, it, it is. And if you want to say, Joe, you're an idiot, quit drinking. No, no, that's I, fine. I mean, Go ahead. I, I think I, I just think it's really hard for us to, to really know exactly what is happening in you know inside of the biden team inside of the white house inside of of all these things i think gavin newsom is doing what he needs to do to prepare uh Mm -hmm. the reality is that is that all of these people recognize that joe biden goes into this re-election campaign as a as a very uh uncertain nominee for the democratic party i mean if you look at all this polling about how Donald Trump matches up, as an example, against Joe Biden. If you look at the swing states, the states that will really determine this election, so I'm talking about Pennsylvania, Georgia, uh, Arizona, to a certain degree, uh, in all three of those states, uh, Donald Trump is running pretty competitively with Joe Biden. So within the Democratic Party, I think there's a lot of concern about you know, is he really going to be able to beat Donald Trump, who looks to be the Republican nominee? And I think that concern is what is stoking all of these rumors about people like Gavin Newsom and Kamala Harris and Gretchen Whitmer and whoever else might be out there. Mm-hmm. That's really what's driving a lot of the interest is just the the reality of where Joe Biden sits in these polls. Okay, an observation, then a question. The observation is you make a really good point that if it's just a maybe that Joe Biden doesn't end up running, Gavi and his team would be idiots to not prepare as if they knew it to be true. I mean, if it's a contingency, you prepare for the contingency happening. You don't, like, sort of prepare in case it happens. And well, anyway, and, so and that's a good point. No, I mean, there's no downside. There's no downside for them. Right. There's no downside for the Newsom team to prepare because, you know, on the face of it, they're still saying, oh, no, we're very much supportive of Biden. We're on team Biden. We're going to do everything we can for him. But you're right. It would be uh, political malpractice for his team to not try and get ahead of this, to not be in a position to jump in if they need to, whether it's this time or two years from now or four years from now, whatever the case might be. So they're doing what they need to do. And I, I think actually in a lot of ways, they've handled this situation in a very good way because on the one hand, they continue to to curry favor with Team Biden and the establishment forces within the Democratic Party by looking and appearing as though they are they are firmly on his team, firmly in favor of him running for re-election, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, they're making all of the institutional preparations. And that's the one thing that people don't realize about political campaigns is it's not just you show up one day and decide to run for president. You've got to build an organization, build an infrastructure. That takes time. That takes money. So even if it's not for 2024, even if it's for 2028 or beyond, uh, Team Newsom needs to begin to build that infrastructure, and that's what they're doing. Which brings me to my question then, and I think I know the answer because I had a family member who worked in the polling industry for a while. Um, If the Democratic Party wanted to poll 
you know, Gavin Newsom versus Donald Trump, that sort of thing, for instance. How easily could they do that and keep that quiet? <laughs> well, uh, nothing stays quiet in politics. Uh, okay. So, you know, I mean, obviously, I think to the extent that they are doing things that would raise suspicion, you know, in, in terms of really building an organization that looks like it's going for this time versus for four years hence, uh, that that might create a problem for, for Team Newsom or for any other team for that matter. So I suspect what they're doing is they're doing everything they can to prepare while also looking as though and behaving as though they are uh, engaged in trying to help Joe Biden get reelected. And, and, and by the way, you can walk and chew gum at the same time in politics. You, you don't have to pick one or the other. So, mm -hmm. you know, they may say, for example, hey, we'd love to send Governor Newsom to Iowa, to New Hampshire, to South Carolina to stump ostensibly on behalf of the president. But in reality, while he's there, he can do meetings with activists. He can do meetings with grassroots leaders. He can do meetings with editorial boards. He can get to know the media in those places. So it, it's not like he has to really choose. In some way, he can have his cake and eat it too. And I suspect that's what his team will, will do. And they'll take advantage of this period of time. And they'll do everything they can. But, you know, will it stop the media from writing stories that Gavin Newsom is running for president in 2024? No, they can deny it on the record. They can do everything they can. But as a team, they can continue to do the things that would put him in a good position to run, whether it's now or later. And and whether that, uh, you know, arouses us or not, they can continue to, to bat that down. But the reality is you can't keep anything secret in this game. Lon Chan of the Hoover Institution, Stanford University, is on the line. So let's pivot to the other side of the aisle. Um, I, I always have protested against the immediate turn to the horse race when we're in the very early stages of a political campaign where, you know, the interviews, the journalists are, you're only at 3% as opposed to asking them about issues and ideas. It, we just default to that too quickly. And I'm, I'm looking at... Some candidates, specifically uh, Nikki Haley and Tim Scott, both uh, coincidentally South Carolinians, um, who just can't seem to get any traction in the primaries, in spite of being very smart and I think very attractive candidates. Um, what's going on with that, do you suppose? Is it a, a feature of our modern media's fixation on the horse race? Is it just that Trump and DeSantis have taken all all the air from the room? How do you How do you view that? Yeah, I mean, there, there's so many different dimensions to this. I think, first of all, uh, there is the fact that Trump, Donald Trump, is is the single sort of biggest occupying force in terms of the media's headspace. Okay, and if you look at the mainstream media and how they cover this race, it's like Trump and everybody else. And to a certain degree, actually, Ron DeSantis uh, is seen, I think, as the primary uh, person who could take Donald Trump down, but. If you look at the share of coverage, it is disproportionately for Donald Trump. So that's the first thing is there's just not that much bandwidth available for anybody else. The second thing I would say is we have to distinguish between what the national media is talking about, what we're seeing in national polling, and the reality of what's happening on the ground in places like Iowa and New Hampshire. And, and the national polling, if you look historically at whether it's the 2016 nominating race, or the 2012 nominating race, which I worked on, very closely. If you look at these races, what happens is that the national polling doesn't shift until we get within literally a week or two of the first primaries and caucuses, and it becomes clearer what's happening in those states. So if and until we get to a point where we really see a little bit more accuracy around what's happening in early states like Iowa and New Hampshire, 
it's really hard for us to gauge and assess where this race actually is. So you mentioned Tim Scott and Nikki Haley, you know, both of whom I think are terrific candidates and, and have a lot to, to bring to the conversation. Uh, Tim Scott in particular, his super PAC has been spending a lot of money, a lot of resource in Iowa to raise his profile. And by some evidence over the last couple of polls we've seen out of the state of Iowa, some of that's beginning to to pay off in that Tim Scott is is rising into that number three spot behind Trump and DeSantis. So he is starting to get a little bit of traction. The reality is we're not we're just not going to know how this race really looks until we get a lot closer. And the national polling shows Trump way ahead. That's fine. But but the but the reality of what's happening on the ground in Iowa and New Hampshire may be very different. And it's just going to be hard for us to see that because a lot of that A is lurking beneath the surface and B, the media is just not talking about it. So I really feel like, yes, it's fair to say that in national polling and national coverage, we haven't seen some of these other candidates get the same level of traction. But that doesn't mean that they're not being seen by the voters in these early states who are going to influence disproportionately how this primary campaign goes. Don't get me wrong. Donald Trump is still by far and away the the the, the most likely person to win the nomination. But that does not mean that people like DeSantis and Haley and Scott are not well positioned to potentially take on the role of being the primary opponent of Donald Trump once we get closer to those Iowa caucuses in early January. Final question, uh, Lon, he, if uh, you were on the Trump staff and he were to turn to you and say, should I do this debate later in August or not? Because I'm so far ahead. What would your advice be? Um, I, I, I don't see a whole lot of reason for him to do it. He's able to convene an audience whenever he wants. He's able to deliver a message whenever and however he wants. Standing on a stage with other people creates a level of, of, of equality between the candidates that he doesn't, frankly, need to have as a former president, as someone who has a megaphone. So I, I fully understand if his staff were to say to him, hey, don't participate. There's not a whole lot of upside. You're going to have people shooting at you all the time. Uh, you know, it's just not necessarily one of those things that works to his advantage. That having been said, he may want to be in that situation. He may want to say, listen, I don't want to appear as though I'm afraid of anything. But th there isn't a whole lot of strategic upside, in my view, to him participating in this debate uh, because he is just a he's in a different category from everyone else. And so uh, if he were to skip it, I think that would be fully understandable. And, and I think in a lot of ways makes more political sense than participating in something where uh, where there's only downside. You know, it's funny. You made a great case for him skipping it, but then you made an uh, irresistible case for him being there. He is so wildly, hilariously, frustratingly undisciplined. If he just wants to go there and blast away, he'll show up. Damn yeah. the uh, the advisors. So we'll see. Yeah, I don't we'll I, I, I don't think that the that the Trump advisors necessarily at the end of the day have a whole lot of sway in terms of what he does. <laughs> He's going to do whatever he wants to do. Lonnie Chen of the Hoover Institution and Stanford University. It's always great to visit. Thanks for the time. Hey, great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, much more to come. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. And it's been my experience that people who plot to kill their spouses almost ultimately always get caught because they don't know what they're doing. That's Brad Garrett on ABC News. Here's the case he's talking about. 
kill him was the WhatsApp message authorities say 36-year-old Lindsay Shiver admitted in a police interrogation to sending an alleged hitman, along with photos of her husband, Robert Shiver, who Bahamian police say became fearful for his life and the lives of his children. Detectives alerted the former Auburn University football player to that alleged murder plot only after Lindsay's alleged lover, Terrence Bethel, became a suspect in an unrelated burglary and his phone was obtained in a search warrant. Prosecutors say they discovered those text messages between Lindsay, Bethel, and the alleged would-be hitman, Fair Newbold Jr. Court documents show the Shivers were divorcing after 13 years of marriage, with Robert citing adulterous conduct and Lindsay accusing him of physical and mental cruelty and acts of domestic violence. Oh boy, a classic. So she hires a scumbag to kill him. And gets caught, as Brad Garrett uh, was saying, which reminded me of a story we had uh, a little while back that we never got to that is just unbelievable. It's a story about Bob Innes, who is a, a tech guy. And back in 2005, for some reason, he had the wacky idea of buying the domain rentahitman.com to, to publicize his IT business. Instead of that, it quickly became a magnet for people seeking out killers for hire, and it changed Bob's life. 18 years later, the website is credited with securing dozens of arrests and at least 12 convictions of morons trying to have friends, colleagues, and even their own children murdered. And for Bob Innocence, become this full-time job trawling through hundreds of applications he receives each month and reporting realistic ones to the cops. In the latest case, and this is incredibly troubling, an 18-year-old mom from Florida was detained for ordering a hit against her three-year-old daughter. Yikes. Would-be instigators have been drawn in despite glaringly obvious signs the uh, site is a spoof, including claims the service complies with the Hitman Information Privacy and Protection Act of 1964. Good Lord. And offers discounts to senior citizens. Holy crap. The site also recently snared a wannabe hitman who fell for its careers page. <laughs> in, in April, 21-year-old Joshua Garcia, an Air National Guardsman, was charged after applying through the website to become a killer for hire. Holy cow. Uh, Bob runs the site under the alias Guido Finelli. Wow, that's a bit of anti-Italian bias right there. Uh, the fabricated CEO of Rent a Hitman, whose family has operated the business since 1920. <laughs> a website since 1920? Boy, these people are stupid. Wow, but murderous. Those foolish enough to fall for the website are directed to a service request page to fill out their application. If they're unsure, fake reviews from previous customers boast about fast service comes highly recommended. Applicants fill out personal details and indicate how they'd like to be contacted, with options including by postcard, WhatsApp, or by kite. Minors are warned they may experience delays without a signed parental consent form. They provide details on the intended target, such as their age, relationship. Options include spouse, bully, dope dealer, and government official, and their social media accounts. Some requests are clearly made as a joke. Occasionally, people will mark their friend or relatives as a prank. About 150 a month are serious, 150 a month. 
Red flags include detailed descriptions of the intended target and the investigator's warped motives. I'm sorry, the instigator's warped motives for the murders. Chilling examples Bob shared, including a high school student who wanted an ex-girlfriend murdered, quote, in front of her boyfriend so he can feel the pain, too. Good Lord. One was from a child who wanted their their parents and sister killed. My family abuses me, the person wrote. A child I can forgive for, A, falling for it, and B, having murderous thoughts. But um, in the cases Bob thinks are real, he always responds with the same two questions. Do you still require our services, and would you like me to place you in contact with a field operative? If the person responds with yes... He uses the information they provide to check them out further, including through social media searches, approaches that seem genuine, or then reported to law enforcement. That is wild. You know, we, this, this story goes on for pages about the people he's helped bust and how his life has become completely occupied with this, and it's really interesting, uh, but it's quite long. We'll, we'll repost it at armstrongandgetty.com if you want to find it. Um, again, armstrongandgetty.com. It'll probably be under hot links, I guess. We'll figure it out. If not, it'll be easy to find. But, um, yeah, dozens of arrests through the years. Here's someone jailed a, a woman 7 to 24 years for trying to solicit the murder of her ex-husband. Unbelievable craziness. Boy, people are stupid and or crazy and or murderous. We've got a lot of good stuff planned for hour number four. If you don't get hour number four, you got to go do something. Grab the podcast later. It's Armstrong and Getty On Demand, wherever you like to get podcasts. Armstrong and Getty.